I'll be talking about what or who is the church, how do I join the church, and what's the church do, what's its purpose. So let's kind of walk our way through that. Let's start with what or who is the church. I wish it weren't true, but most often when you talk about what church you belong to, you talk about an address, a physical building. Our pastor Dave has been very good at emphasizing with us that this facility is not the church. You are the church. It is the body of believers that are the church. The first time we find the word church in God's word, and hopefully we have that on a slide, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Apparently not. Listen as I read. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So let's just pick a few pieces out of this passage of Scripture. First of all, we find Jesus giving the disciples a little quiz. And the first thing he asks is, who do the people say that I am? And if you notice, they all reply. They all have an answer to that one, and, and they give him. You know, you're John the Baptist, you're one of the prophets. There's no doubt people were amazed at what they saw Jesus doing, the miracles, his teaching. They knew something was special. But then Jesus shifted, and he asked a personal question then. He looked at his disciples and said, But who do you say that I am? If you notice in the word, they don't all jump at that. Only Simon Peter answers. He's typically first off the starting line to do that. And Simon Peter says to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends Peter for his answer and states that Peter's answer didn't come from human knowledge, from his wisdom, but came actually from God the Father, was revealed to him by the Father in heaven. As we look, the last verse of that, in the 18th verse, you find a play on some words, and let's walk our way through that, because you know when Jesus met Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew had really met Jesus first and immediately knew he found the Savior and went to find his brother who he loved, Simon, and brought Simon to Jesus. And when Simon arrived, Jesus gave him a new name. He gave him the name Peter. And the word that he used for Peter was Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. Keep that in mind because I'm going to give you another word. Because that word means a chip off of a larger boulder, a small stone. But then Jesus goes on and he says, on this rock I will build my church. 
Was he building it on Peter? No. The Greek word he used here is Petra, P-E-T-R-A, which means that larger rock that maybe Peter was chipped off of could be a foundation stone or a cornerstone, something entirely different, okay? So Jesus was clearly saying that he was going to build his church on the faith that Peter had, that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Let's look at the word he uses for church, because it's the first time we find it. And it's in the Greek is ecclesia, which literally means those called out. You feel that way today? You feel the Lord's called you out of the world. Are you different than the world? I fear that today we fit in so well. But the name literally has a meaning of we're called out. So Jesus was saying to all of us that he's building his church on people that are called out through their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's the church. Now, Ephesians helps us, and if we can get that passage up, Ephesians 1, it helps us understand our relationship in this called-out group of people. How do we function? How do we relate to Jesus? And look what it says in Ephesians 1. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here we see our role in the church. Understand, we're his body. In this world, you become his hands, his feet, and his mouthpiece. That's our relation. And look, it says clearly, he's our head. Now, you know, in our church, we have elders, we have deacons. They're not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And you and I am his hands, his feet. I'm his voice in this world. That's how he's going to speak, is through the church, his body. So if we're the church, let's talk a little bit about how do I join the church. And I'm going to go to one that we often use. Hopefully you got it, Romans 10, 9. If not, you remember that one. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We like that verse because it gives us something tangible. We see when a person makes a decision, they walk the aisle, they'll maybe go to a counselor, uh, they profess their faith in Jesus Christ, they can join the church. We can see that. Gives us something tangible. Most of us here, members of Smith Memorial, we've done that. But let's look at an additional verse today that is a dear one to me. Uh, and be patient with me as I go to John 17, 3. I'm using the New Living Translation because of the way it puts it, the clarity that I get out of that. And it reads, and this is the way to have eternal life. It's to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now understand, we, we, we talk about the Lord's Prayer, and we, 
typically are talking about the model prayer. When his disciples said, would you teach us to pray? And he did, and he gave us a prayer that we keep reciting. But the Lord's Prayer is literally John 17. Because in the night Jesus was betrayed, he knew what was coming up. And he's having a detailed conversation with his father. And this third verse is merely a part of that. But look what he says. He uses, and I want you to focus on the word, to know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. In the Greek, that word is gnosko. And again, you can look and see what that means. Gnosko literally means that you have a personal, intimate love relationship. Now, take that in context with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus just told us is that for us to have eternal life means that you have an intimate, personal love relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. Jesus is clearly telling us that if we've received the gift of grace, the result will be a wonderful, loving relationship with God the Father and His Son. Does that describe you? Can you look yourself in the mirror and honestly say, I have an intimate, personal love relationship with the Lord himself. To do that, it requires some honesty and some communication. I would tell you, you can't build a relationship unless you're communicating. And God's word is his way to speak to you. And your prayer life is your speaking to him. But let's go to Matthew 7 and see why I hang on this word honesty. Follow with me. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Jesus, here in this Matthew 7 passage, and I commend to you, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, many call that the Sermon on the Mount. Man, it's good reading. Once a quarter, read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Lord really tells you what's on his heart. Here he's giving us a glimpse of judgment day yet to come. If you're like me, you believe it's close. What's going on in the world today looks to me as I look in Revelation and Daniel that it's really describing and we're getting there, folks. But verse 21 challenges us because it says that there's, there's a group of people who call out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, that doesn't mean you're getting into the kingdom of heaven. It's those who actually do the will of their father. It's action. It's what does it produce in your life. You see, if you have Jesus as your savior, you will not be perfect. Understand that. But on average, you're going to be obedient. If you look at verse 22, look at the people that are described there. It says, wow, 
Now, these people are on the wrong side of the door. Think about it. He's given this illustration as if the kingdom of heaven is on the other side of the door. And here's a group of people who are on the wrong side of the door. And they say, wait, Lord, remember me. Don't you remember I prophesied in your name? That literally means preached. It's what I'm doing this morning. I cast out demons in your name. I performed other miracles in your name. Who in the world are these people? Because guess what? On Judgment Day, they're left behind. There's a whole series of books on that. My description for these people is they're church people, folks. Look at them. They're preachers, teachers, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. It's you and me. They're on the wrong side of the door. Now, why in the world would that be? Look at verse 23, the end. They don't have the verse numbers in there, and I'm sorry for that. But look at it, the last three lines there. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Look what the Lord's saying. It's judgment day. There's people that have been in the church. And the Lord looks at them and says, I never knew you. I never had a personal, intimate love relationship with you. It's too late. Get away from me. Depart. And you know what? It's no accident that he uses the word right there, I never knew you, is gnosko again, which literally means I never had that personal, intimate love relationship with you. And judgment day has come. We can play church all we want. But those who are in the body of Christ have a personal, intimate love relationship with the Lord. It is all about your relationship. Not the position you hold or one title that you have. We have to be brutally honest with ourselves. Am I really in an intimate love relationship with the Lord? You can easily be a member of a Christian church and not be a member of God's church. And I view that as scary. We can easily fool ourselves. An ABC poll that was conducted just this past June has that 83% of Americans claim to be Christian. As you watch, watch what's going on in this country today, do you really believe that? 83% of us are Christian? It doesn't appear that way, let me tell you. Crazy. So here we are. We're the body of Christ. What's our purpose? What are we supposed to be doing? Go with me to Acts 2.42. Follow along again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. N Notice, here's the body of Christ working. They were devoted to teaching and to the fellowship. Teaching is so critical. We need to be fervently in God's word and allow him to speak to us. We need to spend time in God's word on our own. 
and allow him to communicate. It's so important that you will not become a reproducing Christian unless you're in his word. Are you in a Bible study group, a Sunday school class, a, a small group? Each of us, honest, we need to give the teaching of God's word and the reading of God's word the importance it deserves. You will not grow as a Christian if you're not in the word on a regular basis. What's scary is, I gave you that number, 83% of Americans claim they're Christian, but only a third of that say they even pick the Bible up once a week. If you're in the body of Christ, that's not a book any longer. That is the living word of God. He'll speak to you through it. You can't have a relationship with him without spending time in his word. The second part of that Acts was they were together in a fellowship. They were close together. They knew each other's hurts. They knew what their needs were. They shared things. Their material blessings were shared so that nobody was really hurting. And you know that in this church, our members share together and support a deacon's fund. And we do much of this. When you think about those two items, the teaching and the fellowship, it all is inwardly focused. And Pastor Dave has warned us about this over and over, and it is critical. Don't have your focus be on those inward items. They are so critical, yes, to pull us together as a body. But we're together as a body so that we're getting equipped to go outside into the world. Are you getting equipped? Is that even on your list? Is that a goal for you that, boy, I want to be equipped so that I can go out into the world? Well, let's look again at the assignment that our Lord has given us. And there's two verses that we go to often, and I don't think we have them up there, but if you would put up 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Thank you. Two others, I just mentioned them. Acts 1-8, hey, we talk about we're an Acts 1-8 church. That, that quickly and clearly tells us that we've been given the power by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses throughout this world and next door. Do we feel like we have that power? In Acts 13, 47, it says that he's made us a light to the Gentiles, which would be you're the light to non-believers. I just ask you, do even your family members see your light? Anybody seeing Jesus in you? Because that's what he's challenging us there. But I want us to focus these last few minutes on this 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Follow as, as I read there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, 
on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's focus on just the first part of that, the 17th verse. Speaks clearly that if you're in Christ, guess what? That means you're in the body. You are the church. It says you're a new creation. He's made you brand new, and he says the old goes away. We should be able to think about and share with people what our life was like before we came into the body of Christ and what it's like since. Now, many people use that 17th verse, but then they leave. But I really want our focus to be on the next verses after that. Verses 18 and 19 describe what God has done. It clearly says that God's plan was through his son Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice that he gave us on that cross, paid for my sins and your sins. It says God won't count our sins against us because of what he did through Christ Jesus. Wow. What I want us to look at is if you look at those verses, both in the 18th, 19th, and 20th, three times the Lord says, that while he did what was necessary to save us, he's given you, if you're in the body of Christ, he's given you, if you're a new creation, an assignment. And the assignment is, each of us should be telling the world what God did. He said, we have, he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Think about that. Do you feel like it's been entrusted to you? What are you doing with it? If it's been entrusted to you, are you sharing it? He even gives us a title. At the end of that, he says that we're his ambassadors. We all know what an ambassador does. I hope we do. You know, we send them out to foreign countries, and they represent us there. Now, think about when I gave you the word ecclesia, and I said, it means you've been called out of the world. Do you realize here in 2 Corinthians 5, he's saying, and now I'm sending you back into the world as my ambassador, my representative, to represent me in this world and to take that message of reconciliation to this lost world. But you know what? He won't do that unless you're willing unless I'm willing. Share with you a little overview of a book that I read years ago. I'm talking about the 80s. A man by the name of Jimmy Draper. How many in here know the name Jimmy Draper? A few. Jimmy was pastor of a large church in the Midwest, and then he became the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, our convention, for a couple years. And then he became the leader of our Lifeway organization that publishes all of our printed material. So Jimmy, been around, but he's retired now. But he wrote a little book, red cover on it. The title of the book was, Say Neighbor, Your House is on Fire. He describes in the book the fact that he had a revival in his church. Good response. But the final night, one of his members had a fellowship in their home. He went, the speakers went, having a good time. Several times during the evening, he was motivated, I need to leave and go home. And he didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't, and it's soon late, it's after midnight. 
he gets his wife and leaves. And as he comes into his neighborhood, he knew why the Lord held him off, because there's a house engulfed in flames. His neighborhood, a neighbor. Started in the garage, apparently at the furnace, up the side, on the back, engulfed, and nobody's coming out. Imagine, what would you do? What he did was jerk that car to a stop, left it in the middle of the street, threw his door open without closing it, ran up the sidewalk onto the porch, tried to ring the doorbell, it didn't work, kicked on the door, found a window over on the porch, beat on the window. He is pounding, he is shouting as loud as he can shout. He is warning these people they're going to die. And with his help, he could not break the door down. It was too reinforced. But here comes a mom and three kids, and they throw the deadbolts, and they get out. He saved them. He warned them. The next day in his study, he's praying over what happened and thinking about what happened. I'll bet all of us would react the same way. But he said what troubled him was that if he had the ability to put on spiritual glasses and look up and down his neighborhood, there was house after house on spiritual fire, eternally damned to hell because nobody had warned them. And he said what troubled him was that he didn't have the same reaction that he did to that house was on fire. It bothered him, and he did something about it. Does it bother you? Do you have a relative? Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a coworker? Do you really need to be the witness to? You see, if we're the church, if we're the body of Christ, he has entrusted to you and me the goal of sharing his message of reconciliation with this lost world. And I really don't think that the church is turned on to that responsibility today. We need to wake up, folks, and be obedient to our Lord and begin to share his love with this lost world. Bow with me in a prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your love sending your son into this world. You did all of the heavy lifting. And Father, I realize you've entrusted that message to this lost world with each of us that are in your body. Father, I want you to burden us down and give us no relief with the desire to share your love with this lost world we find ourselves in. Just keep us unnerved, keep us unsettled, until we're on fire to share your love with this lost world. I thank you for your love, Father. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.